Please open your Bibles to John chapter 15, 15th chapter of John's Gospel. I'm going to read a single verse, verse 16, Jesus speaking to his disciples. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the word of God. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I was asked this question. Can we apply John 15, 16, the verse I just read, to ourselves and use it as a case for election? If so, how do we answer those who would say, but Jesus is speaking to his apostles, not to us? It's a very good question. And to answer it, I think some biblical background is needed. I will answer the question directly, but let's begin with an overview of what we know from the rest of Scripture. The will, the will of man. Man has a will, for sure, but it's not free. Man is, outside of Christ, in an unregenerate, lost condition, and needs his will to be set free. He needs uh, not more will, he needs a new desire of the heart. And the scripture makes it clear that outside of Christ, man has a heart of stone. Uh, Romans 3.11 says, there is none who seek after God. Literally, there is no God seeker. There's no one who's seeking after God. That's what we are by nature. Since the fall, all those who have born since Adam have been born with a sinful nature, hostile to God, does not want God, does not want his will, does not want him, is incapable of moral good, as God defines good. <clears throat> as we go to Various scriptures, we see that. I've mentioned Romans 3.11. Romans 8, 7 and 8 also describe man in his fallen condition. There it speaks of him as being in the flesh. Verse 7, Romans 8 verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Note the strength of that term, cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And then the comparison is made in verse 9 between those who are in the flesh and those who are in the spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh. You're not in that unregenerate state, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you are not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God here are synonymous terms. The Christian has the Holy Spirit and by definition is not in the flesh. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They are hostile to God. They are incapable of submitting to God's law. They not only do not submit, they are incapable. They cannot, as verse 7 brings out. Jesus said, the one who sins is a slave to sin. He's a slave to the one he obeys. So 
That's our sinful nature. We need to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. So regarding this passage in John chapter 15, certainly Jesus is addressing his disciples in the upper room. He's not addressing everyone. But before we launch out on that and make uh, erroneous conclusions, it's fair to say that what is said about the apostles also has great application to us as Christians as well. There's a note I found in the Reformation Study Bible regarding this verse, and it says this, Jesus does not mean that his disciples have exercised no will of their own. They have chosen to follow him. Rather, he is indicating that the first initiative, the original and saving choice, is his. Had he not chosen them, they would not have chosen him. Jesus' call to service as apostles included even the traitor Judas. John 6 verse 70 is cited where Jesus called him a demon. But here, the choice of which he speaks is election to salvation. Keep your place in John, John John chapter 15, and go back to chapter 13 and we'll read verse 18. Again, Jesus speaking. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Again, the context reveals uh, fruit that abide. And just to continue the quote, here the choice of which he speaks is election to salvation since its outcome is the bearing of fruit that abides. John chapter 15 and verse 2. That's the context. Jesus is the vine. Uh, we are the branches. And God's will is that we bear fruit. And it's the Christian who does so. Galatians chapter 5, I believe, is in view in terms of what fruit is. The fruit of the Spirit. In other words, the fruit of the abiding presence, the abiding Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, and those nine fruit mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. So I think that's very, very helpful. The word chose or choose, I did uh, the choosing. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. The word there is the word eklegomai, and it means to choose or pick out from a group. Jesus is making it clear, that's what I did. It wasn't you that did that. It's I that did that. Uh, There's a note in the ESV study Bible. Again, I think this is very helpful. Jesus, quote, does not negate the disciples' willing decision to follow Jesus when he called them. Jesus is emphasizing that the ultimate factor in determining who would follow him was Jesus' own choice. As as we go elsewhere in our Bibles, we, we see very, very clearly what the scripture says. And we see it in unmistakable terms. We see it in the life of Jesus. We see it in the life of the apostles so, so clearly. Now, as we look at this particular section of Scripture, I'd like to turn to a commentary, and you're hearing me uh, bring that out right now, uh, from Rick Phillips. 
And again, this is, again, helpful. God has set teachers in the church for our edification, uh, not only folk in our own day, but in uh, centuries past. These are gifts to us. And uh, just before this recording, I looked up what uh, uh, Dr. Phillips had to say about this passage. John chapter 15, I'm looking for the specific verse here regarding... Uh, what Jesus said. And again, very, very helpful. He writes this. This, talking of John 15, 16, is a simple statement of fact as the record of Jesus' uh, disciples' calling in John chapter 1 reveals. Jesus called them to follow him. They did not apply to him for the position of disciples. Let me just uh, make a comment. That's true. Jesus didn't say apostle position uh, available, apply within, none of that. They were chosen by Christ, and that's the point being made. On the other hand, this statement, talking of John 15, 16, joins up with many other similar statements to teach clearly that all who are saved have benefited from God's sovereign grace in salvation. Here's the important paragraph. Some commentators take these words as referring to the disciples' appointment as apostles instead of as referring to their receipt of salvation and eternal life. Yet the privileges spoken of by Jesus here are not those distinct to apostleship, but rather those held in common by all believers. It is certainly true that Jesus sovereignly chose and appointed these disciples. But it is equally true that Christ sovereignly chose all believers before their conversion, and that he appointed them all to go and bear fruit. So it is. I think that's uh, massively helpful. As we go to other scriptures in our Bible, we see this same truth brought out. Uh, let's go to John chapter 1. And there we see the record of the fact that Jesus, though he was the Jewish Messiah, came to his own. And as verse 11 says, he came to his own, the Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born. Now it's talking about being born into the kingdom of God here. It's not talking about their physical birth. It's talking about a spiritual birth, something that will be made clearer in the third chapter of John. But here he says, they were born, who were born. What does it say? Not of blood. In other words, not of ancestry. Not because their mother or their father was something or someone in the kingdom or the grandfather or the great-grandfather. It's not of blood. That was not the reason they were born spiritually, nor of the will of the flesh. This is talking about the exertion of man, the energetic nature of man, the, the will of the flesh. I'm going to get there by uh, the will I have of energy and activity. No, that, that's not the, the, the source of the birth. Born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Look at this next phrase nor of the will of man. There it is. Very clear. Very, very clear. Man's will was not the determining factor in the new birth, but of God. So, 
if you and I, if we see someone receiving Christ, to receive Christ means to acknowledge his lordship, to come to him as Savior and Lord, and repent of sin and believe the wonderful gospel of Christ. What is taking place is not because of ancestry, of the will of the flesh, human exertion, nor of the will of man, but it's God's activity from start to finish. But of God. But of God. As we go to Romans chapter 9, we see Paul make the exact same kind of statement. He, he makes the same uh, conclusion, comes to the same conclusion. And in Romans 9, as we understand, this is a chapter all about divine election. And verse 11 uh, makes that clear if we weren't already clear about it. And talking of the twins, we're jumping into the text here for the sake of uh, time. Though they, that's the twins, were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, that's the theme, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Now, that phrase, not because of works, is a statement that is thunderous. It's stunning. Works, or the activity of man, was not the source or the reason for God's election, his choosing. Works were not involved. Uh, they had done nothing, either good or bad, and works were not a feature in terms of why God chose whom he chose. Not because of works, either past works, they were in the womb, had done no works, present works, those works, activities in the womb, or future works. Works was not the basis of God's choice. That's what verse 11 says. So what was the reason? But because of him who calls. This is the call of God. This is the activity of God. This is the will of God. Not man's will, God's will. She was told, that's Rebecca was told, the older will serve the younger. As it's written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. God reserves the right to dispense mercy as he pleases. And he is never obligated to dispense mercy. He's a just God. And when he's just, he's doing the right thing but he is never obligated to be merciful. He can simply dispense justice and all the angels of God will say, Amen, praise the Lord, because to act rightly is the right thing. You can't get a judge off the bench and say he can no longer serve as a judge because all he keeps doing is make just decisions. <laughs> Try that. That's not going to work. But when the judge is merciful, that was in no way obligatory. And that's what God says. I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. And so there's no injustice taking place when God chooses one of the twins rather than the other. And here we have the conclusion, verse 16. So then, when you see that phrase, notice he's coming to a conclusion. So then, because of this, we can now say this. Because of what I've stated so far, this is now what can be said categorically. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, 
but on God. As you read John 1.13 and read Romans 3, excuse me, Romans 9.16, John 1.13 and Romans 9.16 see the, the great similarity. It's not human will. That's not the factor. What are we talking about? Well, the key word so far in this text of verse 16 is it. So then it. What is the it referring to? I would submit to you the it refers, refers back to verse 11, God's purpose of election, God's purpose in choosing. And it, it depends not on human will or exertion, the activity of man, the energy of man, but on God who has mercy. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. There it is in a nutshell. I hope we adapt to what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 1, you read from verse 26 through to the end of the chapter, and three times we come across this phrase, God chose. God chose, God chose, God chose. Why? Because it wasn't our choice that got us into the kingdom. It was His so that all the glory for salvation goes to Him. It wasn't because of our wits. We worked out who Jesus was by ourselves. We made the right decision by ourselves. No, God showed us the beauty and the worth of himself and Jesus Christ. Before his activity, we were by nature children of wrath. We were dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2 verse 1. And we were blind to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The last verse I'll go to for uh, this time is Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Look with me in verse 13. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. Let me just pause and reflect on that. Why would we thank God for brothers? Why would we not just say, thank you, brothers, for making the good decision of coming to Christ? Thank you. Well, in any sphere, if someone does something for us or for someone else who we love, we are thankful to them. We could even send them a thank you card. Thank you for what you did. Well, the thank you for salvation here is not to the brothers, but to the God of the brothers, because he's the one who was active in making them brothers. Wonderful thought. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. That phrase, the first fruits to be saved, speaks of the fact that in any season when first fruits come, it's an indication that more is to come. And while the Thessalonians were enjoying life in the kingdom of God, they were not the only ones who would ever do so. More were coming. But they were first fruits among those being saved. Praise the Lord. But notice that phrase. If we take out the words, uh, the first fruits, here's what we read. God chose you to be saved. They were the first, the first fruits, more were coming, but don't miss the point. 
God chose you to be saved. Some people think election is all about uh, the, the calling in the body, what you are as a teacher in the body of Christ or a pastor or whatever your gift of uh, administration might be. That, that's what election is all No, that's not what it's all about. Verse 13, God chose people. God chose you to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit sets apart the people of God. The Father elects. The Father chooses. The Son comes and lives and then dies for this same group. And the Holy Spirit sanctifies the same group, sets them apart unto Christ. And that's the reason why they believe in the truth. So there it is, ladies and gentlemen. I believe the context here in John 15, back to the original question, is uh, the apostles. And yet there's application that can be made to all true disciples. And uh, John 15, 16, it's a wonderful verse. It applies to us. He uh, calls us, he appoints us, we're to bear fruit. And uh, as we go to all scripture regarding this subject, there's a consistent theme. If you're in the kingdom, it wasn't ultimately because you chose Christ, but that Christ chose you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We ask that the Holy Spirit would write the truth of this on our hearts, that we might glorify you in all things and be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.